0: This morning, I just want to start just with a word of encouragement. Whatever your complications, whatever your problems are this week, uh, the, the beginning of a new year, um, I was reminded on the fifteenth of November as I, I turned to Proverbs fifteen fifteen, actually, and it says that a cheerful heart has a continual feast. So, such a great, such a great message of. Uh, encouragement and truth that regardless of life circumstances God's peace and our continual participation in that is uh, an offering that goes beyond circumstances so what a great reminder I'm going to read uh, to begin uh, verses 1 through 17 in Romans so if you just like to follow along and you don't have to read it you just uh, read aloud you can just follow here Paul, a servant of Christ Jesus, called to be an apostle and set apart for the gospel of God, the gospel he promised beforehand through his prophets in the holy scriptures regarding his son, who as to his human nature was the descendant of David, and who through the spirit of holiness was declared with power to be the son of God by his resurrection from the dead. Jesus Christ, our Lord. Through him and for his namesake, we receive grace and apostleship to call people from among all the Gentiles to the obedience that comes from faith. And you also are among those who are called to belong to Jesus Christ. To all in Rome who are loved by God and called to be saints, grace and peace to you from God our Father and from the Lord Jesus Christ. First, I thank my God through Jesus Christ for all of you, because your faith is being reported all over the world, God whom I serve with my whole heart in preaching the gospel of his Son is my witness how constantly I remember you. In my prayers at all times, and I pray that now and at last, by God's will, the way may be open for me to come to you. I long to see you so that I may impart to you some spiritual gift to make you strong. That is that you and I may be mutually encouraged by each other's faith. I don't want you to be unaware, brothers, that I plan many times to come to you, but have been prevented from doing so until now, in order that I might have a harvest among you just as I've had among the other Gentiles. I'm obligated both to Greeks and non-Greeks, both to the wise and the foolish. This is why I'm so eager to preach the gospel also to you who are in Rome. I'm not ashamed of the gospel because it is the power of God for the salvation of everyone who believes, first for the Jew, then the Gentile. For in the gospel, a righteousness from God is revealed, a righteousness that is by faith from first to last, just as it is written, the righteous will live by faith. Lord, bless the the words as they go out Let them be a a blessing to the heart and an encouragement to the mind. Thanks be to God. So this morning, there's a lot to unpack here, and I hope to to offer it in a a way that you can take something with you that uh, will, will take root this week in your life. And to begin, I'd like to just look at three things. As as I I unpack this message, I'd like you to consider these three things. What are you called to? What's the condition of your heart? And is the power of God for salvation on your life? You see in this picture here, this is uh, me at the Western Wall in Israel in the city of Jerusalem. And this is considered by the Jews and many in, in the world to be one of the most holy sites in the entire world. And you see there little notes of paper placed in the wall. And I had the opportunity to take the steps of Christ called the Via Dolorosa. And in Greek, that means the way of suffering, the the pathway of of torment. Um, And I had the opportunity on this very day, as God's providence is, to walk these steps on the 13th, the very day of the 13th year of my sobriety. Thirteen years prior, I, I placed my last alcoholic beverage down on the counter knowing that God has something new for me. And at the time, I was an out-of-control alcoholic, a raging addict, a, a broken life, uh, a hopeless person that had um, no real joy in the moment, no real hope for a future. And in this very day, 13 years later, I had the opportunity there to reflect on God's goodness in my life and His faithfulness over the course of 13 years, which would include victory in many fronts, the opportunity to be a, a person of reconciliation in the lives of the broken and, and, and those struggling with addiction and those just, just hung up on life's hurts and pains, but also that period of time would include tragedy with my own little brother who would die in his addiction. But thank God his heart was was set on the things of God. And just four months prior, I had the opportunity to share some key salvation verses with him and I'm, I'm confident that he is eternally secure waiting on us in the place of heaven so on this day I also took the opportunity to write notes of intercession consider you to do the same that you would, you would reflect on who in your life do you long to know the love of God who in your life do you long to maybe forgive who in your life do you need to offer forgiveness to you and in this uh, opportunity, I wrote down um, some names and placed it in the wall and went on to spend half the day with with uh, students and parents from our community here, uh, spent that, that, uh, that trip to Israel, and, and together we walked those steps. And it was a, a moment of incredible blessing and joy, knowing that God, if God can pull me through this, through, through the struggles of life, he can do it for you, and he can certainly do it for anyone else. So we'll come back to that at some point. But the tension we live in is important to consider as I I lay out that little storyline. The tension we live in is this this issue of sin. And at the bottom of every sin lies a secret self-love. At the end of the day, we we place ourselves before God. We love ourselves more than we love the other person. We, We love our agenda, and we're bent on what we ultimately want to accomplish for our own good, that we, we miss those around us. We miss the needs, but not only the needs, the blessings of the people around us to contribute to the betterment of our lives and us to them. So the self-focus thing and the, the, the sin issues that motivates how we live, the question that asks, what's in it for me? That's the addict nature. That's the alcoholic tendency. That's the, That's the person set on self that says... I want what I want, and I want it now, and I'm going to do what I want to do when I want to do it. We can all relate to that regardless of, of substance abuse or, or dependency issues. We can all relate to that selfish nature. So the question is this. Are we, can we be restored to a right view of self and other people? And the answer is yes, but that's only going to become, come by way of a right view of God. Our healthy view of God and how we really see him as we read the word and understand his character and nature. His providence, his goodness in all things. How he works for the betterment of those who love him. As we, as we develop our, our understanding of God, he gives us a healthy view of how we relate to ourselves. And how we understand our, ourselves as our deepest Um, struggles occur and how we look onto the life of another person who we judge them right where they are and we 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 have a conditional love that says we'll love them as long as they kind of look like us or as long as they fit within the profile we're looking for we'll love them as long as they respond appropriately to our agenda (laughs) so um, when we can get beyond that we can say God, thank you that I can see you the way you are as I read your word, as I encounter the lives of all people, not just those that come to church, but all people in this broken world. We're able to do that. A supernatural occurrence occurs that the Holy Spirit gives us the ability to see with eyes of freedom and the eyes of our heart, and a heart that's filled with love and not love for self. It's okay to like yourself. It's okay to love yourself, but A right view of self only comes by way of a right view of God that says, you are a sinner saved by grace through faith, and you are worth the life and the death and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. So just to paint some historical backdrop to Paul's ancient world to better understand his intention and what he was up against as he would write this letter to the Romans, uh, the Roman culture was... One of uh, great comparison. One of, one of uh, it was a pluralistic world. It was the Roman Empire was dominant in the Mediterranean world. It was uh, in control of, of all of this region. And um, if you had a, if you were from a people an eth- ethnic group that had a different religion, and that that religion could be traced to a place of worship, a priestly order, uh, that religion could be traced to a certain public participation and the greater Reasoning of the Roman Empire—that was the common theme in Rome. Was the 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 uh, unity around the idea of reason. As long as you were on board with that, you were on board with how they conducted their their affairs. Then they were okay with you. But this Christian and reason began in the family and the family structure. It, the, the there was a hierarchical system, but there was also set on an agreement with reason in Roman culture. So here comes this this new message that was spreading and sweeping across the, the the Roman Empire. And the letter to Romans was written by a couple of people that lived in Rome that actually were, particip- were, were present in Pentecost in Acts chapter 2. And they're radically... Transformed. Can you imagine that the, these people are, are participating in this move of the Holy Spirit and the, the encounter with the Holy Spirit that shifts the life and changes the heart? Then they go back to, to Rome, and they begin this church there. And years later, Paul hears of this, this faith that is sweeping across the nation, the, uh, of the entire world, the uh, uh, ancient world. So Paul is greatly encouraged by uh, the reputation that they hold that goes out. And he writes this letter, and he delivers. Uh, he has, he's, has it delivered in 57 AD, written from Corinth on his, um, his third missionary journey. So I wanted you to see, as we talk about this backdrop of the, the historical context of what's going on here and the, the shared value of reason in the Roman culture, but Paul's missional life. Why would a guy decide to walk? 15,000 miles by way of boat and travel, of course, by sea. 15,000 miles. Three, uh, uh, a number of missionary journeys going all over the place. Shipwrecked, bitten by a snake, um, eventually de- delivered to Rome as a prisoner. Why would a guy do this? Who, who at the time was persecuting the believers, persecuting the Christian church. And the obvious answer and the only answer is he had an encounter with the risen Lord. He had an encounter on the road to Damascus with the resurrected Christ. He didn't need any more evidence. He didn't need any more sophisticated theological argument that said, Yeah, now I believe. He had a radical encounter with the living God that said, Paul, why are you per- persecuting me? And it's a simple question that we can ask ourselves Why are we running? Why are we hiding? Why are we throwing up our guard to maintain a secret self-love? So Paul is radically transformed in the moment, and he sets out on a mission that would include a thousand times that he would preach. That would include, again, 15,000-mile journey. It would include writing the epistles that would be read by countless millions through centuries. 1900 years later, countless millions of people have read the reflection of his faith into a broken world, past, present, and future, and lives are changed, and he is a part of moving the gospel of peace forward, and we're invited to do the same. So Paul's conversion uh, was one of great encounter, and here's an important notion. Paul was not converted by way of a guilty conscience. And we need to think about that. You know, we, we think that, man, if I feel bad enough, maybe I'll change. And my pain is great, so maybe I need to consider a different pathway. And and sin hurts. It's a little embarrassing. I'm not going to put it out there. Whatever's going on with our guilty conscience is just a small part of the equation. Paul changed because he had an encounter. Paul changed because he was present with that encounter. And he was fully eyes open, heart available to that transformative Work of the Holy Spirit. So, don't look at yourself and say, "Man, if I if I feel bad enough, eventually, eventually I'll change." Um, there is there is a part of change that that, that says that uh, change doesn't occur unless the pain of staying the same is greater than the pain of having to change, and that is true. And if you didn't follow that, let me give you a little example. Just this week, uh, for years I was I was a youth pastor and. Um, one of my former students, a uh, local private school kid, was, was uh, in my office, and now he, he's a college graduate, and he's, he's looking at that fork in the road where um, the, college, the high school life, the college life, and now the fork in the road of the professional world is right in front of him. And, and, and I see, I've seen that for years, and some of you parents know that fork, and that can be such a, such a debilitating, um, uncertain um, transition in life. And the problem that I found and that God has helped me identify is measuring yourself on a timeline against another person. Instead of measuring yourself before the Lord to say, Lord, can I lay my head down at night knowing that I've honored you? Have I included you in my decisions? My decisions started and concluded with the love of God. So that's the question. And this guy came in and, and he was a little broken and uncertain. And I had the opportunity to just, just speak words of power and grace and love and truth into his life. And he went out of there transformed, and he went out of there uh, excited about m- moving into a high-risk environment via uh, his visit back to his college. And he called me back later that week, and he said, you know what, man? I went into that environment, and I was in charge of my life, just like he told me. My, my encouragement to you and to, to young people is often make sure that no emotion, no substance, or no person is guiding your behavior. Because eventually what will happen, the consequences of, of negative behavior will leave an emotion, and a negative emotion will guide behavior. Or maybe it's a person. Maybe it's, it's conforming to a, a, a control issue or it's conforming to a codependent relationship. Um, Make sure nothing beyond the truth of God, the clarity of his word, is shaping your attitude, your heart, and your mind. Then you will be in charge of your life, surrendered before the Lord. The Lord sits on the throne of your life. So he went out and he um, dealt with the pain of staying the same by taking an honest look at what needed to change for him. So the three points that I want to come back to are these. These. If you're a note taker, feel free to, to to follow with these notes. Point one is this: Are you called and set apart? Calling is I, I, I've uh, developed a definition following my my time at Fuller Seminary, and, and the way that they have uh, defined calling is where the world's deepest need were the world's greatest need and your deepest passion aligned. And for me. That is, without question, uh, working in congregational care with my friend Beth and and Gary and Stan and um, Anna Witt and um, Brian Maxwell and uh, Janine Dungan. And we all have the opportunity to co-labor with humble hearts and be a part of this reconciliation process as people come in. And we've developed this idea that there's three parts of the congregational care process that include um, hope, healing, and harvest. We want to see people come in, not just to our department, but the church itself and experience those three things. Um, That God would affect them for hope through each of us, through the worship experiences, the classes offered. Um, And then the healing process that begins to take root in a broken life um, as they participate in the life of the church. And they go out and not stay stuck where your problems become your problems. Where you sit around and, and you dwell in these issues and you're not willing to make a decision for change and you sit around with desire to change, it's a big, it's a big debilitating factor. You sit, Everybody has desire to change, but who's willing to make a decision? So the decision part is where healing takes place, and then you go out as a changed person, and you're working towards the harvest component, which is your part of this missional journey that Paul lays out. So part one, are you called and set apart? The mission of the church is this, reaching the lost and equipping the saints for the work of the ministry. Are you called to that? Is your deepest passion intersecting with the world's greatest need, and has God made that clear to you? If not, maybe use that as a, as a, a, a measuring tool to, to assess what God is moving you towards for the work of the ministry. The apostleship is one who is set, set apart, sent out in Jesus' name on a mission of Reconciliation. Being set apart is easy to identify. It's easy to look at a person's life and say, he's about something different. He's about the, the uh, he, he has a kingdom ethics about him. He or she has uh, an awareness that there's something bigger in this universe that is worth paying attention to and worth, worth living for. We were created to worship. We were created by God in his image We were created to not only worship Him, but to draw other people to Him. And He doesn't need us to do that, but He has invited us to be a part of that mission. And it's something that we need to take serious. And here's the the beauty of being called and set apart. In addition to those things is this. The freedom that God offers. And it says, uh, uh, in Colossians, I believe, it says... uh, where the Lord are the spirit of uh, where the Lord is the Spirit, and where the spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. We're called to freedom. We're not called to guilt and self-condemnation and self-righteousness. We're called to be a free people that are walking in the truth of Christ, that are changed lives. And here's how freedom plays out for me that offers uh, a, a sense of, of confidence and a sense of relief. God's work in all of us is this: if we can get to this place and continually try to get back to this place, there is a, a liberty that that sets the spirit and the the, the self love issue sets it free. Is this if I work on the freedom from myself, the freedom to to be needed, the freedom to be are the need to be needed, the issues of of needing people to like me or the issues of Fear of failure, fear of man, fear of those kind of things. If I can come to an end to myself knowing that God has created me for a purpose and he has you as well, then it gives me the ability to love a person without this complicated, selfish agenda that says, I'm gonna love that guy, but it's gonna be conditional. And it's gonna be based on how he responds to what I offer him. So I'm gonna go, I'm gonna try some kindness here. And if it if it takes root, great, that I'll like the guy, and if it doesn't, I'm just going to add them to my my list of resentment. I'm going to go chit-chat about them, and I'm just going to create this little division, and I'm going to make myself the center of it. Well, what God has created for us is this opportunity to be a part of his freedom that is built in love that says, I can love a person without needing their love back. And that is a disarming, gospel-powered, life of surrender and victory that says i don't need you to love me back i can love you right where you are so i encourage you to to take a look at that and maybe add that to your your personal um, mission and your personal statement of life is is like how can i love people without an agenda point two a grace that shapes the heart passion obedience and a growing faith have to becomes want to where there is passion People don't want to open the word, and I didn't for a number of years in my addiction because I didn't want to be called into something that I thought looked a certain way and required something of me. It didn't take root in my heart. My mind would block these things, and I had a, a sense of, of self-will and ambition to do what I wanted to do. I, le- I led a path of, of destruction, and it, thank God it, uh, he spared me because it certainly doesn't happen for everyone, as I attested of my little brother. Um, but passion, as it begins to grab your heart, the have tos in life becomes want tos. The have tos of, of loving somebody becomes a want to. And obedience. And John fourteen twenty one says, um, <clears throat> uh, <laughs> "It's with me." Hold on. Um, Anybody know it? (laughs) All right. Whoever has my command, he is the one who loves me. And he who loves me will be loved by my father. And I, too, will love him and show myself to him. Thanks, wife, Jenny. (laughs) Thank you. Do you have the command and are you obedient to it? That's an evidence of love for God. You will be loved by the Lord Jesus, by the Father in heaven, and you will be empowered with the Holy Spirit. As you obey God's revelation to you to do the next right thing, God's revelation to you of who he is and his faithfulness and his character and how he moves in our broken world and our ability to be sensitive to that becomes that much more clear and our faith grows. So it's, it's an incredible System and it's an incredible equation that you can't limit to an equation in a system of life, but you can decide to respond to that invitation to conduct your, yourself and your life like that. So the heart is the central issue, and Paul talks about I, I, I serve in this gospel with and believe with my whole heart, my entire heart. So the heart is the true center of living, the center of all activities, body, soul, and spirit. Our personality is communicated by way of our, our mind and our, 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 our nature in the, a broken world. But our heart is where God sits on the throne. Our heart is where a decision is truly made. If you want to know what the condition of your heart is, or the heart of someone in your family... Listen to yourself or listen to them talk for a few minutes. That's a real revelation, and it's, it's biblical. It says, out of the mouth the heart speaks, and we take that for granted. We just hear that move by it. But if you want to know the condition of your heart, listen to yourself talk. And then maybe that's a, a, a calibration of how you need to turn back to a redemptive truth to set you free from you so you can be free to love people without the, uh, the agenda that the world calls us to. There's a cry in our human nature that runs deep. And the only answer is the answer of Jesus Christ. Oswald Chambers said this, Jesus Christ claims that He can do in human nature what human nature cannot do for itself. And that is destroy the works of the devil. Remove the wrong heredity and put in the right one he can satisfy the last aching abyss of the human heart. The atonement loosely defined is this. You have been, you've been paid for with a price. You have been bought. You have the opportunity to be redeemed by the blood of Christ. And in that, the atonement that happens for you is at one-ment. You are unified with the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. You are justified by faith. Through grace, your decision is one of great significance, one of great importance. Satan attempts to disrupt this oneness with God and attempts to break down our sense of faithfulness to God, our sense of confidence in the work that he's doing. The human heart is what he ultimately moves towards. The human heart is where um, emotions can easily guide behavior, as I said before. Our attitudes can leave a person debilitated. Anger at God is a big part of why a person holds out from surrendering versus self-will. So ask yourself, what is, what is the condition of my heart? And part three is this. Paul makes it clear, and Dr. Yusuf preached an incredible message last week on this very verse you should go back and listen to it. I'm not ashamed of the gospel as the power of God for salvation. I'll ask you this question and take just 30 seconds to write down the answer. What are the affections of your heart? And just, just think just for a few seconds about what are the conditions of your heart. I'm going to give you a second to do that. And we'll come back and finish. Okay, So when you, when you consider the affections of your heart, are you ashamed of any of them? And hopefully you reflected and did some, some self-assessment and you, and you analyzed the complications of your heart or the good things of your heart. And is there anything in your heart you're ashamed of? And we all are to some degree. But if the power of Christ is in your heart, and the, and the truth of God's Word is shaping your, your, your thoughts, your attitudes, your mind, your will, your emotions, then your heart will certainly be a reflection of that. And if it's not, don't beat yourself up. Just get back on the ancient path of truth and freedom and liberty and wisdom and agree with the message that saves the world. These five points is a five-point uh, guide to the cycle of addiction and I focus on addiction because I, I I want us all to be honest with ourselves of of what is holding us back from this freedom, what is holding us back from the missional life that Paul models throughout his, his ministry in the the letters. Number one is pain. <clears throat> Let's define addiction as this. Um desire for something that has an ever a a, a desire for something that has an ever an ever increasing desire for something that has an ever decreasing ability to satisfy so whatever it is it doesn't have to be a substance are you addicted do you have a desire for something that won't go away that that eventually does not please okay so pain is the first um motivator or the first sign that there is an addiction present in your life. Number 2 is you're using an addictive agent like alcohol, food, sex, work, dependent relationship or anything to soothe and distract. Life's hard and as as things come at us in life, we turn to something to change our, our the way we deal with it. There's a temporary anesthesia or distraction. Number 4 Our three is that. Number four is the consequences that follow the addictive nature. Number five is shame and guilt leading to pain and low self-esteem. See, addiction starts with pain and it ends with pain. There's no way around it. And for a time, it can be fun, it can be interesting, it can be funny, but at the end of the day, it's going to start with pain it's going to end with pain. So, today you have that opportunity to come to terms with this yourself and, and really be honest with yourself and and look for an outlet to bring you back to fullness and life to bring you back to the freedom that christ has called you for and died for for you we have Stephen ministers here at the church and here in the community a number of churches have Stephen ministers my friend sam's one um and many of you at uh, tim's one and uh I encourage you to, to invite a Stephen minister to walk through life and walk through these, these issues that hold you back and um, allow, allow a person, a brother or sister in Christ, to journey through things with you and hear your heart and pray with you and bring you back to reconciliation to the Father. Also, we have uh, a, a class that runs over the course of six months, the Beth Geary and Brian Maxwell run, which is... Um, Living Waters and that class is more than halfway through at this point, but we have a cross current opportunity, which is a class that would invite you to consider the, the pressures of life, the pains that that have occurred, and maybe the addictions or the shortcomings or the struggles that you might have. I encourage you to grab a brochure for both Stephen Ministry and Cross Current because that class is starting just next month. And these are great opportunities for you to take advantage of, to take an honest look at what's holding you back and inviting God by way of uh, fellowship and education and kindness and love to come full circle through these things. So those those materials are available outside. I encourage you to do that, but you're not alone in the, in this thing. And regardless of, of where you are, if, if your pain is little or great, you're not alone and I encourage you to, to reach out. Reach out to me, reach out to a friend, a family member, and know that the the power of, gospel, of, of the gospel begins to take root where there is a recognition of fault. A fault recognized is half-corrected. But if we go through life and we have all this stuff, baggage, resentment, uh, pain from the past, uh, judgment in the present, um, unforgiveness that affects uh, how we live in the future, Whatever's holding us back, um, there is there is a way out, and I encourage you to look at that. So in conclusion, the Western Wall, if you'll bring that picture up again, the two examples that, that, uh, uh, of, uh, I wrote a list of names down, and as soon as I got back from this trip, I called the mother of one of the, the students that I wrote his name in there. And about a year ago, after... This is, for, this is 2014, so for the next couple of years, uh, 15 and 16, I walked with this kid through addiction. He was a local kid here at one of the schools and um, eventually went to a prestigious university and, um, and, and just couldn't beat his battle with addiction and the tension we live in and the, the, the world that, that tells him he needs to look and act a certain way to be grafted in and be part of the, the majority. I wrote, it, wrote this guy's name down, and, and he came clean with me after a year of struggling in the same thing. And a year ago in my office, we sat together, and, I, and he confided in me his issue with cocaine addiction. And I said, man, time's up, buddy. Your time's up. said, if nothing changes, nothing changes. And look at your life and how it's played out these years, these last couple of years. You're not willing to make a decision for change. You sit there on desire, and nothing changes. So thankfully, he got honest with himself, and that day we went and sat in his parents' house together, and he laid it all out on the table, and they were shocked by all the things he was doing because he was living this deceptive life of lies and half-truth, and where, where is it, what's he doing, and nobody knows. And, um, but he came to terms with that, and he got honest. And here we are a year later, and he was sitting in my office last week celebrating sobriety with clear eyes and an excited spirit, bent on the calling that God has on his life, and certain that God's calling for him is a reality that can be played out as he does his part. A short second story, a kid that grew up here in STS, in our student ministry, as I served a part of that staff years back. Um one of my favorite kids of all time, and he uh, was a profound mind, has incredible (laughs) blessings as we all do, and uh, had great potential in life, and he too would, would be caught up in a world where emotion would guide his behavior, and he would lose the opportunity to go to a prestigious university on a full academic scholarship and not make it beyond one or two semesters, through a course of uh, events that would play out in his life, and parents that had modeled faith for him and love him in all things. But parents who, too, are about truth and grace. (laughs) Sometimes we're about one or the other, and it can be a a bit rigid or a bit uh, uh, passive. But when you're about the things of the Lord and, and the things that Christ embodied, truth and grace set people free. And this happened for this kid. And by God's grace he is in the very program that i went through 16 years ago no longer bound a testament of intercessory prayer and recognition of need around us that would go into this wall and god's faithfulness and answer so here's in closing here's a confession of myself okay i have an addiction and it's to this <laughs> can anybody relate um this is, as I interface with life, and an overwhelming source of senseless, useless information that pretty much comes from my phone, you know, um, it doesn't bring satisfaction. And I find myself watching a movie, reading email, and on my phone, it's like three things going on, and my kid's talking to me. Love you. Um and you got all this stuff going on, and it's like you're you're so consumed by something that is not life giving, not that it's a sin, but it is a distraction. And it and it does hold you back from the things that God wants to do to edify your heart and mind, the things that God wants to call you for to, to love and inspire you towards love and good deeds. So hear this this final thought. The most important information that a man, a woman, or a child will ever receive is that Jesus Christ died for you. He rose from the dead, and he's coming back. So let that hit your heart this morning. Love you guys. Um, Have a great day. We're going to come up and have um, one song and enjoy enjoy how this lives into your life and shapes the world. And Let that be who you are this week. God bless you.